Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Kings chapter 4. God is so good. Amen. Amen. We went the first time to Europe in 1984. We went out of Costa Mesa's uh, Christian rock band. <clears throat> I was really only two and a half years old in the Lord. And um, we toured around there and were allowed to go into all kinds of places. But what's cool there is you can go into secular schools and they have religion classes because of the state church. So we could go into these classes. Some of them were like 220 kids with a full PA system, a full band, and we would just sing our hearts out, songs we had written. We had them all translated, you know, on the overhead. And in that first year, they, we could even do altar calls. We saw so many kids come to the Lord. Uh, after that, they wouldn't let us do altar calls anymore. They just, that's freaked them out. But God did the altar calls. And we just kept seeing more and more and more kids come to the Lord. And the problem was we'd go back year after year and see certain ones we knew we prayed with, and they, they didn't want to talk to us. And, you know, we found out that, you know, that a lot of the reverends were telling them that we were a cult and were after their money. And, or they'd just go to churches and they wouldn't find Bibles. And, you know, they would just say, they don't preach Jesus like you guys do. Then after about four years, it was in 1987, the Lord just told us on a tour there, he just said, either stop doing this or come over here and start a church. Well, I left home at a young age. I, I never finished school. I don't have a high school diploma, and I'm, I'm really a hillbilly. And, uh, you know, how do you start a church? And they had just in Calvary Chapel, that was then about 87, 88, they had just come out with Harvest, and I read that thing, man, so many times, and it, it just so encouraged me, you know, all these hippies that God was using to start churches. And, you know, all they had was a Bible and faith and a guitar. And I thought, well, I got that stuff, you know. So we went out with our two daughters, and we moved to Germany and started this Bible study out in the park. And next thing we knew, it just exploded. And we had that upstairs in an old train station. And then the next thing, we had to get a, a big carpet warehouse and we ended up been, being given money by really wealthy people because their kids were getting turned around, kids they didn't know how to deal with. And, and we ended up building this incredible facility over there for the glory of God without even going to the banks. And it was just amazing, you know, to be doing this. 25 years we were there. Got to the glory of God, I'm telling you. But after 20-some years, I got in trouble. And that's why I'm here today to share with you because it's all about his faithfulness when we're unfaithful. And I want to just be on the cross with Jesus today and just kind of empty my reputation before you in hopes that the Lord can grab your heart, especially if you're going through something that seems bigger than you. So would you pray with me? <clears throat> Father, thank you for your, your faithfulness, God. Man, thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. Where are we going to go, Lord? Who else has words of eternal life? And so we just pray this morning for all of us that we can just tune our ears into you and that we can open your word and hear from you, Lord. God, speak. Thank you that you love doing that right where we are. So we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this situation, I find in chapter 4 of 2 Kings, these first seven verses, I find my whole story. So, you know, the Lord, he will never leave us nor forsake us. 
It, it says his thoughts for us are like the sand on the seashore. But there's times we'll go through things and we don't understand why and we start listening to the lie and then we start believing God's got something against us. And you know what? Don't listen to the lie. Learn to tune in to that still small voice. The Lord says, my sheep know my voice and I know them. I know what they're going to go through. I know, what, I know their sin. I know where they're going to make mistakes. And he says, and they follow me. Don't stop following him. I stopped following him because I started listening to the lie. And I thought he didn't know me. I thought if, he, if everybody knew, you know, I thought I was just the biggest idiot in the world. And God stepped into that situation. He used his people to do it because I wasn't listening and I wasn't seeking at one point. I was just defeated completely. And I'll get into that later. But I want to show you this situation because it might be kind of what some of you are going through. <clears throat> so in the first verse, it says, A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha. Now, this woman is, notice it says, the sons of the prophets. You see that only in First and Second Kings. In Samuel, they were called like a club of prophets or a school of prophets. But here, this was something special. This was something new that established, God established through Elijah. And it went on to Elisha. They were really like submitted to the work of these prophets. And they were learning like a school of ministry from them. And they would go out and be the word of God to the people in the villages. And it was just an amazing ministry that God was doing through Elijah and Elisha in raising up disciples. So her husband was one of them. She'll, she'll say, you know him, you know. So here she is. She sees Elijah cru- cruising by and she just goes out. I mean, how timely is this? Look at the situation. She says, uh, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he, your servant, feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons. So here's the story. This man of God died, and here she is now on her own. They were in debt, and back in that days, that's why you see so much slavery in the Bible, because really what it was, was that if you're in debt to someone and you can't pay it off in time, then they bring you in and you have to work for them. And in some cases, some of them wanted to stay with them even after they paid their debts off, but some of them didn't. And who knows who her sons were going to be going to. And this is desperate. Mothers, can you imagine waking up on a day like that? You've been crying out to God and nothing's changed and now there it is, the day comes. And all of a sudden there is Elisha. Now, this creditor really to me is a picture of Satan. Especially if we give place to Satan. That's what's happened here. Her husband probably gave place to this creditor, you know, by taking this debt and then not by paying it off. I want to show you where that is in the New Testament for us spiritually. In Ephesians 4.26, it says, Be angry and sin not, and do not let the sun go down on your anger. So it really shows us it's very important when we sin to deal with it, to keep short accounts, to not just sweep it under the carpet. And buddy, as a pastor, when I started doing that, it got to the point where the carpet was just like, what is that thing? You know, there's a big mound over here. It's got snow on top of it, you know, it's so big. 
I mean, we gotta, we got to keep short accounts. Because notice what he says right after this. This is a very interesting verse in the New Testament. In Ephesians 4.27, it says, Nor give place to the devil. That word there for place is license or it's stronghold. It's the only place we have that word stronghold in the New Testament. He's saying, don't, don't let him have a stronghold against you. Now, this isn't talking about demon possession because we know uh, a child of God is sealed in the spirit of God and cannot be possessed. You know, salt water, clear water doesn't come from the same tap. But this is talking about oppression. And I want to tell you something. I experienced an oppression that I never in my life knew could exist for a Christian, let alone a pastor. And so these things, when they come on, we need to learn how to deal with them ourselves. Okay? We need to pick up the sword which is the word of God. We need to hold up the shield of faith. We need to take our identity in Christ because Christ said at one point, you're going to do greater things than me. And then as he was lifted up into heaven, he said, go wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with authority on high. That's like the clothing an officer has. You know, I remember seeing on the 405 freeway back in the 70s, a motorcycle policeman, he gets ahead of everybody and then he gets out in the middle of the freeway and holds his hands up and the whole five lanes stop. That's authority. If I did that dressed like I am right now, I'd be like, you know, I'd be gone. And Jesus says, I'm going to clothe you with that authority. What, what are you going to do with it? You're going to go out and you're going to tear down demonic things that are building themselves up against the kingdom of God, but especially in your own life. And I didn't know that. Nobody was teaching me this. I mean, I always thought if you just pray for forgiveness and ask God to deal with it, that was enough. But you know what? I got in a situation where that wasn't working. So notice here, where she is fearing, where she is crying out, I want to give you an insight. In Hebrews 11.6, it says, but without faith... It is impossible to please God. For those who cometh to him must believe that he is, and notice this, for he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, that word diligently, is that's in the King James. That's not in every Bible, but it is in the word seek in the, Hebrew, in the Greek language. So that's an interesting word, seek. And it says he rewards those who diligently seek him. I remember living in it, you know, being a drug addict and having to throw all the drugs away up in Alaska. I used to take cocaine up to the to pipeline workers. And I ended up living in a street mission up there because I, had, I threw all my money away in that coke. And I, I just remember at that time reading that verse and how, how that just screamed out at me. That, that, that something God rewards Something he delights in and he rewards. I mean, the Bible's full of him talking about your, your reward in heaven. And, and these are rewards that are spiritual, physical, mental, emotional. He loves having the opportunity to do that to us, his children. And so here's how he does it. He does it as we diligently seek him. Now, that's, there's a few meanings it's there. If you look at that word in the Greek, one of them is to... Worship him. 
He rewards those who worship him. It, it means to, um, to crave him, to crave God, hunger and thirst for righteousness. It means to search him out, uh, you know, like the woman who lost the coin and wouldn't go to bed until she found it and swept the whole house. We do that in situations with God and not go to things in the world. Or one of them is to investigate. We investigate God by getting into his word and looking at what these word means. And Lord, write this on my heart and show me what this means for me. That's an investigation. God rewards those who investigate him. But the one I love and the one that we see here in this situation in 1 Kings or 2 Kings... God rewards those who demand him. That means, you know, we see Joshua doing that. As for me and my house, you guys are, you know, messing with stuff you shouldn't. But as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. That's demanding God. It's like, you know, Joseph with Potiphar's wife. There is no way I'm going to do this to my God and to my master. He's demanding God there. He's saying, I'm not doing this. I'm holding fast. And so she's really crying out here to Elijah because he's the man of God. And, you know, she knows him or he knows her. And she's like, the, the creditors are coming. What, what is God going to do? This is the last day. I know he's going to do something. So she's demanding God here. And God is going to reward this. So notice what it says. In verse 2. And this is what to me makes uh, ministry easy, okay? In verse 2, he responds to her. He says, uh, says, um, so Elijah said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me. In other words, he's, he's clearly just saying, look, sister, I don't know what to do. I don't have anything for you. But God does. And that's the thing about a prophet. He would hear from God. And as he hears from God, he tells her what she has to do. This is something she's going to have to put her faith in. So notice, he comes to the key here in verse 2. He says, tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Now, you would read that and you would think, okay, cooking oil. She's got, you know, a mason jar or something or, you know, a clay jar, pretty good size, full of oil. And it's not that. If you look in the Hebrew here, it says an anointing flask. When you go to Israel, you can see these anointing flasks. You can see original ones from this time. And, you know, this is my anointing flask, but they're like maybe three times bigger than this, maybe four. And so that's all she had. It wasn't a big thing. It was just a small, special thing. But listen, that oil was the best oil there was. I mean, it was the first oil that came from the olives as they put that massive Gethsemane down on it. It wasn't where the donkey's going around and treading it for hours. I mean, that first crunch that brings out the purest, that was used by doctors. That was medicinal. It was used by priests. It was for anointing. It was so expensive, most people never, ever could buy it. And that's what she had. It was probably her husband's anointing flask. And really in this picture, you know, notice he says, what do you have in your house? What do you have in your house? That house is the temple of God. 
It's her. It's who she is. It's not how she dresses or does her hair or puts her makeup on. It's her. What does she have? When it all boils down, when the collectors are coming, what's there? And it's just a little bit of anointing oil. Just a little bit of faith. A little bit of the Holy Spirit. But you see, that's all he needed. He needed her to know that. He needed her to confess that because it tells us that God will not snuff out a dimly burning wick. In fact, he'll come in and he'll get around it and he'll nurture it into a flame. And that's what we're going to see happen here. So notice, now that we're all figured it out, now it's, you know, it's all clear. You know... Her husband, who was a man of God, she goes, you know him. He was a man of God. I mean, he had great faith in God. I'm sure a lot of her faith in God was in his faith. You know how that works? You know how we do that? I know growing up, my mom had a lot of faith in God. And I thought I was going to get into heaven because I was Mitzi Long's son. And boy, did I have to learn that one the hard way. Mitzi Long is no, no longer around. What's in my house? You see, we need, to, we need to challenge ourselves from time to time. And so he's going to tell her now what God's saying, what God has for her. This is coming strictly from God, and it's something that the man of God can't even do. It's something she's going to have to do. She's going to have to take that little bit of faith, and she's going to have to exercise it. So notice here in verse 3, then he said... Um, Go and borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and then he tells her the key, and do not gather just a few. Okay, now this is a difficult situation. You see, back then, these vessels were very expensive. In fact, most of your vessels were probably given to you you know, in a wedding or it was part of a dowry or something. These things were expensive. Paul talked about vessels, you know, that were not worthy or vessels that were worthy. So these were worthy ones she needed, ones that food was put in or oil was kept in or goat's milk or whatever. So they had to be clean. They had to be good ones, you know. And she's going to have to go collect these. Now, how is she going to do that? Because either she's going to put a mask on and she's going to lie and make up some story why she needs to borrow. Because they're not just going to... I mean, this is like, you know, one of those mixing machines that costs a couple thousand dollars, you know. They can make milkshakes and pizzas and, you know, and you could kill your husband in it, you know, whatever, you know. I mean, they're going to go, well, what are you going to do with this? And so she, you know, is either going to have to make up a story or she's going to have to be truthful and say, well, I'm in trouble. And the collectors are coming. I bet nobody knew that. I bet nobody in that neighborhood knew that. And after she got these pots from people and told them the truth, I bet she had people praying for her. Because she's confessing that. Confess your sins to one another. You know, and the Lord will heal you. And so she's saying, well, you know, Elijah's at my house. And, and he told me that this little bit of oil, and that's all I have left, that if I get pots from the neighbors, God's going to fill it up. And some probably laughed at her. Some probably laughed at her and gave him their vessels. And some probably just said, praise God. I know he can do this. Go for it. Take this and, and take this. Let me empty it out here. And take this one. 
How many did she get? That's always my question. Because notice what it says. He tells her, go borrow vessels, as many as you can, in verse 4. And when you have come in, notice here, God is going to do this with her and with her sons. He's, he's not going to, Elijah has nothing to do with this. All Elijah has to do is hear from the Lord and tell her what God's going to do. But notice here what he says. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it into the vessels and set aside the full ones. Still, he's telling her what God's going to do here. He's hinting to her, don't just get one vessel. And so she does this. She goes out and she begins to collect the vessels and she begins to bring them in, her and her sons. They're experiencing something from God. They're experiencing direction from God. God's word has spoken to their lives and now they're going to do it. They're like at the end of their wits and they're like, okay, we're doing this. You go that way, I'm going this way, I'm going this way. And now they come back. Now it came to pass in verse 6, when the vessels were full that she said to her son, uh, okay, verse 5, so, so she went from him, shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Notice verse 6, now it came to pass when the vessels were full, vessels were full, that she said to her son, bring me another one. Here they are, they've got this little flask. She's in control with the flask, okay? And the kids are getting the, the vases. Maybe they're putting them on a table or maybe they're those big ones, you know, on the floor. Who knows? But she's like, bring me another one. And, the, and they bring it over and they, they, they start pouring and it's pouring and they're looking at this thing and it's not ending. And then all of a sudden they go, whoa, whoa, it's getting full. Get another one, get another one. And they move it over and get another one. And it's pouring and it's pouring just like Elijah said God was going to do. This is her and her two sons and God alone. And God is with them. And he's revealing now how much he loves them. And he is changing everything. And she goes, get another one, get another one. And, they, and he gives her another one and it says, or it says, he says to her, there's no more. And immediately, the oil dries up. There's no more. Man, I, I don't know why they made a movie of that. You know, that would be the coolest movie. My question is, how many vases did she get? One big one, two, three or four maybe? What if she got 10? What if she got 20? You see, it all really depends on her faith. God's nurturing her faith. He's given her more faith, and she's now responding to it. And she got those vases, and she brought them in. And think of this. She's getting the oil that's going to take care of them, that's going to save her sons. But she just saved her sons spiritually. They got to experience this too. God wants our family involved in these things. He wants them to learn the way they should go when they walk up so they won't depart from it. I guarantee these kids never departed from God after what they saw there. You know, after all these years in Germany, seeing so many coming to the Lord, seeing ministries explode, you know, we even built the, the, the largest indoor heated skate park there in Ziegen 
uh, it's just amazing ministry. But I never really got to see that in full action until just last year because I disappeared. See, during this time, I got a hernia surgery. Uh, it was the second one in two years, and they put this mesh in. And so this mesh came loose, and what it did was it wrapped around my sciatic nerve. And I'd take MRIs and, you know, all these treatments, I've, you know, CAT scans galore. They couldn't see it because when I'm laying down, it's just calm. But it was like a knife in me. And until they figured out what it was a year and a half later, they put me on a thing called chronic pain therapy. You don't do that with a drug addict. I even told him, look, I'm an ex-drug addict. And he goes, oh, we're going to monitor it. We're going to take care of it. Don't worry about it. We'll monitor it and then throw him drugs every time he comes in here. And I'm telling you, they gave me you know, uh, morphine, fentanyl patches. They gave me Cymbalta Lyrica, which is like morphine for the brain. There's this whole thing to try to shut off your muscle memory and you know, deal with you physically but also mentally. And, and they gave me Ambien. I was, eat, eating like, I was eating like nine Ambien a night. I mean, I couldn't sleep. And so, you know, within six months, I was a drug addict again. I mean, my tolerance came back. I, what they were giving me wasn't enough. I started going to other doctors. And then I'd have to go to other doctors. And pretty soon I'm coming to America to get help at, at Scripps down in San Diego. So they gave me this this paper it was a, a license from the Pharmaceutical Association of Germany so that I could carry n- narcotics across borders. And with that, I could go into any you know, doctor here. I could go into any urgent care, show them that thing, and they'd give me whatever I'd ask them. They'd give me Oxycontin. They'd give me morphine. It was nuts. And so nothing was helping And you know what? This went on. They actually found the mesh after a year and a half. They did an operation. They took it out. They sewed it up like they did the old-fashioned way. That was gone. The pain was gone. But the, the addiction, it was roaring. And I want to tell you something. It was a nightmare. All of a sudden, I don't remember the last two years of my ministry there in Europe. That was around 2012, 2013. By 2013, I wake up. I come to my senses in this little camper out behind a barn on my daughter's farm and I, I, I knew the ministry was gone. I didn't know where God was. I didn't know what I did and I didn't know where my wife was. Somebody rescued my wife. Some pastors got her and brought her up here to Santa Barbara. They just go get away from him until we figure out what's going on. And you know what? The biggest fear I had that day was to look at my prescription bottles, and they're almost empty. And I knew where to go. I knew this place in Cincinnati where the doctors are overworked and few, you know, there's not that many there. And, and I go in, and I take this old, you know, uh, outdated license, you know, farm from the Pharmaceutical Association. I'd go in there, and I'd say, well, you know, I'm a pastor, and I'm on the road, and lie, lie, lie. How horrible, man. How horrible. When we give place to the devil, how horrible it is because we lose our conscience and we start believing the lies that God doesn't care. You're going to go to hell. Everybody hates you. You better just get in a hole and, and die. And here I am in this 
urgent care, and for the first time, a doctor had a conscience. And she sat there and listened to my story, and she, she went online, and she looked, and she could see how many drugs I had been getting. And she goes, well, you came in here like a month ago, and you got like, two, I don't know if it was two or three months worth of Oxycontin. And then you came back in here two weeks later. You got more than, I can't believe my colleague didn't look. And she goes, and then last week you went down to Beachmont and got more there, and now you're coming in here and asking for more? She, she goes, and she goes, from what I'm seeing, I, I think you're taking about six of these a day. I go, no, I'm taking nine of them. <laughs> that woman stood up and started talking real loud, and then she started kind of yelling. And what she was saying as she poked her finger in my nose was, you are a dead man walking. You know, that, that hit me in the face. I mean, that's what they say when they're taking someone to the electric chair. Dead man walking. Dead man walking. She goes, you are a dead man walking. A dead man walking. And the next thing I know, she just disappeared. And I, I believe I was before the throne of God. I was just in a fog. But I heard the Lord's voice. And I knew that voice. It'd been a while since I'd heard it. And here's what the Lord said to me. You do what this woman says, or I'm going to have to bring you home. That was it. That was it. You know something? That's all I needed. Because it wasn't what I thought God was going to say. I thought he was going to say, if you don't straighten up and start walking the line, buddy, I am nailing you and you're out of here. That's not what he said. I'm going to bring you home. I'm going to bring you home. He still loved me. He still got me covered. Even though I'm unfaithful, he's still faithful. I'm going to bring you home. I'm going to have to bring you home. Man, I heard that. And next thing I know, I'm, I'm back in the office. She's going, I know you pastors. You've got people in your parish that probably doctors giving you. They just think you're more than one other man. I go, I'm, I quit. I give. Uncle, uncle. You know, I mean, she was mad. And I said, tell me what to do. But when, you know, she gave me something. It wasn't a narcotic. But when I was driving away from there, what I had was something on the inside. I didn't need anything on the outside to help me. It was what I had on the inside. I needed to work out. And all the way home, all I could think of was home. Home. Where's my wife? Home. Home. Where's my wife? You know, I want to get right. I need to get in the word. Where's my Bible? You know. And God brought me out of the miry clay and he set me free and he freed me from this stuff. Thank you, Jesus. But you know something? Something else surfaced. During this time while I was on the narcotics, I started getting into pornography. And you know something? It gripped me. It, it wasn't like the narcotics. I mean, I got off of them by willpower. I couldn't do it this way. I mean, this was like... You know, you fight and you fight and you fight. It's like holding your breath, but swimming underwater, but you got to come up. And, you know, it's just like, what do you do? And then, you know, it's like so, so much condemnation, and I couldn't find freedom anywhere. And then from being molested as a kid, that started coming back to my head. I mean, that's been gone since I gave my life to Jesus. 
And you know what? I even went to my wife. Once we'd then finally gotten together, I went to a counselor, I went to pastors, and I knew I confessed it, and I confessed it to my wife. Now, I, as a pastor, have seen many times where the wife has found out or the guy's been caught, and it's not a pretty picture. And it's, it's what I've always thought, too. Man, oh, she never finds out, you know. <laughs> but you know something? I told her. I was so desperate. I demanded God. I said, you got to help me. i got this problem. I started telling her, you know what? She never asked one question. In fact, she just cried with me. She wept with me, and she became God's greatest picture to me of him sympathizing with our weakness. Again, home. And she limped me across the finish line as she showed me God's grace. It didn't clear up right away. I wasn't going online anymore, but it was up here. And somebody taught me. All of a sudden, somebody stepped into my life, a pastor that taught me, you've got to take authority here. You've got to take the identity Christ gave you. You've got to put that uniform on and fight this. It doesn't work by you saying, God, forgive me. God, fix this. No, he went to heaven and he's praying for us at the right hand of the Father. But he says, I leave it with you. The Holy Spirit will clothe you and give you authority to fight all hell. And this brother taught me, and I want to tell you something. We did some rear-end kicking that night. And we sent some demons home. I'm not talking about possession. These were footholds they had to speak into my life. And we shut them up that night by the power and authority of God, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Man, 25 years of pastor, I never heard of this stuff. That's why we wrote this book. And I want to tell you now, this morning, coming in here. I am here for one reason, because God has shown me there's people here that are stuck in a rut. There's people here that have footholds. I'm not talking about a bad day, a bad week, a bad year. I'm talking about something you've given place to that you can't get out of your life. And all the praying and all the asking for forgiveness isn't changing anything There's just something there and it's not going away. I want to tell you this morning, you need to be crucified with Christ. And that means you need to make a stand here this morning and say, I'm demanding what's right. I'm done with this and I want these demons gone. And God is going to honor your faith because he's given you faith right now. He's letting you taste a little bit of what he's going to do. and He's going to break things. Look at how quick this happened. In the last chapter... He's saying, go and take the oil and pay off all your debts and live on the rest. What a difference from just a few hours earlier where she's going, my husband's dead and the collectors are coming. and my I mean, it just changed like that and it can happen like that. I am a living testimony of that. And this morning, you have an opportunity to, to deal with it, to demand God to make a stand and to turn the light on. You know, Queen Esther, the, the whole thing that happened where her people were going to be killed, one part was dealt with, but her uncle comes to her and says, you know what, the, the, the law is still there. The law needs to be changed. They can still be killed. And she, he goes, you're going to have to go back into the king. And that meant she went before the king and fell on her face. And if he took her, that scepter, if he didn't raise it up to her, she would have been killed immediately. She falls on her face. She, she, she had to be crucified with Christ, you could say. And he gives her favor. 
what do you want up to half my kingdom? She goes, my people are still going to be killed. You need to change your law. He goes, no, it doesn't work that way. He goes, I gave my ring, my authority ring, to your uncle Mordecai. You changed the law. He goes, you write the law. I'll send scribes to help you do it. And we'll send it out across the land on the fastest steeds. And man, they went back home and wrote it themselves. You see, that's our identity in Jesus Christ. We have the authority. We have the authority over all hell. They have to do what we say. And they don't want us knowing this. And I, don't, I couldn't believe after being a pastor 25 years, I didn't know this. Gullibles is a playoff of Gulliver. You know, Gulliver had these little lines. Every little line to me was a sin that could have been broken or could have been taken care of in itself. But after years of the sun going down on things, I gave place to Satan. And it had to be broken. And this morning, God wants to break these things in your life. But you're going to have to stand up and let him do it. You're going to have to confess your sins to your brothers that you can be healed. So close our eyes right now. Thank you, Father, for the clarity. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you, Lord, that you are in our midst, Lord, that home is here with us. Thank you, because you never leave us nor forsake us. So I pray, give my brothers and sisters strength to do what they got to do today, Lord, to break the chains and to allow you to do that surgery. If you're here this morning and you know what I'm talking about, I don't have to describe these strongholds because you're in them and you know them and you feel them and you taste them. Then just stand where you are and God is going to break it. He's going to break it. But you have to have and display faith in him. Bless you, brother. Just stand right where you are and we're going to pray for you this morning. We're going to lead you in prayer. Bless you, brother. Bless you, brother. Bless you, brother. Bless you, brother. Bless you, sister. Sister. Bless you, sister. Bless you, brother. Bless you, brother. Sister. Bless you, brother. Oh my gosh, bless you guys. Bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. Bless you, sister. Bless you, sister. Bless you, sister. Bless you, brother. Bless you, sister. Bless you, sister. Bless you, brother. Bless you, brother. Bless you, brother and sister. We have to take a little bit longer here because some of you are like me, kind of got thick heads, you know. It's got to soak in. Just stand up and say, I'm done with this. I'm done with this. I'm demanding God this morning. Bless you, sister. Thank you, Father. Chains are falling right now. God is so good. Bless you, sister. Thank you, Lord God. God, you are faithful and true. You are faithful and true. Anyone else before we pray, just stand up. Just say, I'm done with this. I'm done with this. Bless you, sister. Bless you, sister. Bless you, sister. Bless you, brother. Thank you, Jesus. Bless you, brother. Bless you, sister. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Lord. God, you are faithful and true. There is no one like you, and we thank you. You can't change. This is who you are. You are an awesome God. You are an amazing God. Not only that you would come to us, that you would give your only son for us, Lord. Reach down to us. But God, you said you know us. You you let us hear your voice when you knocked on that door. But you said you know us. You knew these things. Lavish your grace upon your, your, your family right now, Lord, upon my brothers and sisters. Just lavish your grace upon them. Let them know that you love them. You've never turned your back on them. 
you never left them. You've never forsaken them. And that's why now they taste that, they see it, and they're here responding to you, Lord. Thank you for that faith. And so we ask in Jesus' name, put your warring angels throughout this place, just destroying these footholds, Lord, as these licenses are being confessed, God, we give them to you. And Lord, we come against the demonic realm that have been tormenting our brothers and sisters. We bind you, we subdue you in the name of Jesus. Take everything that you came with and you be gone now to the throne of Jesus until he deals with you. Be gone now in Jesus' name. Lord, just let your Holy Spirit just fall upon our brothers and sisters. Let your glory just burn away these footholds, Lord. Fill their hearts with hope and joy, Lord, the the gifting of your Holy Spirit, the presence and anointing of your Spirit. Anoint them. Let them sense you just filling them them up, Lord, like these empty vessels, just filling them from head to toe. Just anoint them. Bless them, Lord. Fill them. We pray you would restore your still small voice in their life, that you would call them to greater gifts, that you would call them to ministry, to be your mouthpiece to those around them that need help. Thank you, Father, that this morning they have stood before others because they don't care. They're demanding you, and they've stood because you have spoken to their heart, and there's no other way that can happen. Lord, you are so good. Bless them, Lord. I just want you to know the Lord is speaking to you right now and he just says I love you I love you I love you I love you thank you Father thank you Father Have your way, Lord, in our lives. Have your way. We give you place now, Lord, in Jesus' name. For you're a great God. Amen. Let's just stand together and let's worship the Lord. God is good. Amen. Hallelujah. God bless you guys.